We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, we're rolling. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode, episode 594, Talking Buffalo podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you, as always, for locking in, whether you're listening to this on the audio side, whether you're checking us out on YouTube. I appreciate you all today. Well, this drops anyway on Wednesday, July 12th. That means almost as always this summer. We took a little bit of a break last week, but I am joined by my good buddy, Anthony Marino from uh, Buffalo Rumblings. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? It's good to see you, man. I know you take a week off and you feel... uh all out of sorts, like with everything, you you kind of get back into the mix and you're you're dragging a bit, but it's good to see you again, man. I talked uh, to Joe Yurden on the show a little bit yesterday, first time I've had him on since late May, and we spent a little bit of time talking about just recharging your, your battery a little bit from uh, time to time, and you were on vacation last week, correct? Yes, I was. Like life vacation, not podcast yeah. vacation, like actual life vacation i took a vacation from the show and i've only done that maybe two three times i've been doing this for a little close to five and a half years now and it's maybe two three times where i just took a whole week off to kind of recharge a little bit no specific reason like i i wasn't on vacation wasn't going anywhere just from time to time i feel like it's kind of productive for me at least anyway to just take a little bit of a break and not get burned out um i, I think sometimes people push through to have an episode just to have one to put one out and they really don't have anything interesting to talk about or they're not passionate about what they're talking about and i think fans kind of uh see through that when uh you do it so it was good for me to take a break what did you do this past week on, on vacation mode the marino family yeah the marino family we were out on cape cod which is one of our Ooh. favorite spots to to go and and with some family out there and it just uh you know, I grew up in Rochester, right? So I never went to Cape Cod as a kid. I mean, that would have been like an eight-hour drive, and <laughs> that's a few hours beyond the, uh, you know, the Marino family being in the car together with everybody arriving in one piece. So uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't until, you know, until I met my wife and, and kind of visited Cape Cod and just a, a great spot to do a lot of those summer type of things, right? I mean, my kids, even though they're teenagers now, we they still love to play 
mini golf and go to the beach and, you know, go grab ice cream and, you know, fried shrimp and all that type of stuff that you, you do when you visit a beach town. And it just, it's nice to get away even just for a few days and to just sort of put your feet up because as you know, and, and everybody's in this type of situation, it's just for folks to be able to unwind for a few days, no matter where you are in your life, it's just something you need. And I appreciated your your conversation with Joe as it relates to it, because uh, I think sometimes there's this mentality of you've got to, you know, you got to be out there grinding or you can't stop or this and that. Like, no, you, you need to take that time. And it was, it was great to, to relax with the family. How many times have you been to Cape Cod? I've never been there. Like, how is it? I, I've, I've seen like, you know, movie scenes where people are in Cape Cod or TV shows and stuff like that. I've never actually been there. Is it as cool? Well, as it, and it, it, it depends on where you go on, on the Cape, right? So there's, there's different towns that you can visit. It's like when people say, oh, we went to the Jersey shore, the Jersey shore is a, a big area. So, you know, you can go to a town that is, um, you know, when I say more family friendly, friendly, right? Like you'll see a lot of the kids activities and stuff like that. Then there's a more like, you know, quieter type beach towns where it's just like, Hey, maybe you're out further on the Cape. You know, you're not getting as much traffic. You're not getting as many of the tourists. And if you're more of just like, Hey, I want to go sit on the beach with a, a book each day that you can do that part. But it's, uh, it is great. Like I said, you know, you, if you're looking for the 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 bar scene you can you can do that part and find you know kind of those beach bars if you're looking you know plenty of great beaches to visit some that are you know again quiet some that are you know if you're more of the people watcher that you want to be there with the big crowds but uh yeah i mean we've probably been you know a fortunate family's got got place out there so you know numerous times how how far of a ride is it for you uh, if there's no traffic, it's four hours. If you're oh, going during, you know, some peak times to to get over that bridge, it can, you know, it could take you six, seven, whatever it might be. But, you know, I always say once you you get there, you you open the door, you can smell the ocean and you feel kind of that ocean breeze. Everything goes away, man. I, uh, you know, it's funny living in Florida for five years and, and driving from Florida to Buffalo at least a handful of times, which I would not recommend for people. It's not a lot of fun, but anyway, that's a 20 hour drive for at least it was for me. And that's not counting, you know, staying somewhere overnight. That's if you drive straight through 20 hours. So to go somewhere anywhere, like say seven hours or less to me, that's almost like a, a hop, skip and a jump. You know what I mean? So yeah, you kind of get used to those long drives, but yeah, it is, is definitely nice. Nothing against Buffalo or, or, or Western New York or upstate New York, but when you get an opportunity, just go somewhere else. I always say it's not other places aren't necessarily better than Buffalo. They're just different. You know, the things about other areas of the country or that are attractive, they're not necessarily better. They're just completely different. You know, you go to Florida and, and you got all, you know, the beautiful beaches and uh, the bodies of water and stuff like that. It's, it's a nice scene, but you know, anywhere you go, there's always some kind of extreme. Like right now, I, again, living five years in Florida, I got a ton of friends that I made down there and they are suffering dude right now. It's like a hundred, like the feel like temperature is like 110, 115. It's been like that for like almost a week now. That's just, God, I don't miss that, man. I don't at all. No, it's crazy. But to your point as well, it's like anywhere you live, you, you take for granted, right? I mean, I grew up in Rochester and, uh, People would always be like, oh, my God, Rochester, I love that city. It's this and that, like all the, you know, when you grow up someplace, you don't have that same type of appreciation 
right. like when you visit or, you know, and, and not saying that you go on vacation to Rochester, but like you, you know, if you're, you're traveling there for work or out of town, it just, it's got a different vibe versus where you are each and every day. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I feel the same way about Buffalo growing up here. You love it, but you, you, you kind of take it for granted and you don't appreciate it to go somewhere else, you know, spending five years in Florida. I, I really, I had a newfound appreciation when I came back to Buffalo, the, the great food, you know, the things to oh, do sure. in the summer anyway. I mean, you kind of hibernate in the winter. It is what it is in, in a town like Western New York. But um, yeah, summers have just been uh, fantastic. Speaking of last night, well, I should say Monday night because we're dropping this on Wednesday. Neither of us actually went to the event, but um, WWE Raw came to Buffalo. First time in a while. Um, like I said, I didn't go. You didn't go. I, I talked to you a little bit off camera um, or yesterday, I should say, but you're not so much a, a wrestling fan anymore per se, but you grew up liking wrestling. Like, did you used to go to wrestling events in your area when you were a kid or, you know, or did you just grow up like, liking? I almost called it a sport. We'll, we'll call it entertainment. Now it's funny. So I, you know, as a kid, I, I, I loved WWF, NWA, even going back watching yeah. AWA, um, when there was kind of those those big three that were in place, and, and never never went to the the shows as I was a kid. Um, it was then as I got older, kind of in my early twenties, right? Like all of a sudden you 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 got some job, got a job, you got a little money in your pocket. It would become, sure. uh, and I worked at an arena at the time. It was called the Pepsi Arena in Albany, so. Mm -hmm. uh, a great friend of mine, the box office manager. And I was just going back and forth with uh, my college buddies the other day. There was, you know, and this is like the heart of WWF popularity, right? And I say WWF because it's just sort of reflecting that time. Sure. You know, the the golden era of Kane, Undertaker, Rock, McFoley, Steve Austin. Yeah. yeah where those guys yeah. were you know, literally, and again, maybe I'm just romanticizing based on thinking back, but right. I mean, and we were ringside camera side for Monday night raw in Albany. And it was like, you know, our buddies are like, listen, you got to make this sign. You got to do this. You got to do that. And, uh, I looked at the clip, like the opening sequence clip to that raw, which was like 23 years ago. And it was insane. Like you see them panning the crowd and literally it felt like every person in the arena, 16,000 people was holding up a sign, right. To get on. Yeah. And, and to me, that was just a time of God, you'd see, you know, you'd see families there. You'd see like myself, right. A bunch of 20 somethings together, like out with your buddies, just what a, a, a great night out, you know, when you sure. think of entertainment and, and those personalities, it just, uh, Man, I, I think back really fondly to to going and, and doing that. I have a uh a pretty much a lifelong affection for, for wrestling. Um I get a lot of shit from friends to this day that I still watch it. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching uh wrestling all all everything I could get my eyes on on the weekends because it wasn't Monday night back then it was saturday mornings and uh oh yeah you know my my father who's been long long gone i mean he, he was gone before i even you know ended my teenage years but anyway one of the very few memories that involve sports or entertainment that i can remember with my dad is he used to take me to the odd all the time for wrestling because back in those days you know before wwf wwe went like global and now it's everywhere back in those days 
it was more territorial. Like WWE was Northeast where we are. And, you know, like yeah. uh, NWA was more in the, the Mid-South, in the South. You had a bunch of territories. You know, Texas had wrestling. AWA was up in Minnesota. So anyway, my point was WWF used to come to Buffalo like probably six, seven times a year at the odd. So we used to always go there. Anyway, it, it was fun. Then uh, I'm not going to review last night's or Monday night's raw because again you don't even watch it. People who are watching this on Wednesday they were they already either know or they don't care. But anyway, I, I just think it's cool when something like that comes to uh, Buffalo. Anyway, all right. So today what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time talking about we're going to count down our five favorite Buffalo Bills of all time. I thought that would be something fun to do with a couple weeks here to go before training camp. Speaking of training camp. We will spend a few minutes talking about a couple of pretty interesting storylines that I think going into uh, training camp. And then we'll do our uh, finish the sentence segment that I do with you uh, every week that we're on as well. So uh, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll start off with you. I'll put up the graphic. If you're watching this on video, there'll be a graphic up. If you're listening on the audio side, we'll go through our list. But anyway, I asked Anthony to come up with five and we'll count down from five to one. Five favorite Buffalo Bills of all time. And let me preface it by saying one thing. This is not necessarily our five players that we think were the best Buffalo Bills at all time. These are our five personal favorites, five guys that we really enjoyed their time in Buffalo. For whatever reason it may be, you'll explain that uh, going up here first. But anyway, that's what we're doing. Our five favorite Buffalo Bills of all time. So you can kick it off there. Yeah, and you know what, Pat? This was tougher than I thought. Right, it first is. you put it out. You there's a few things that just jump out to you, but uh, 48 years old, right? You've been around for a long period of time, and you know you're trying to think like, oh, not not so much who was my favorite when I was this age or during this period or whatever it may be, but just from where I sit today. And uh, number five on the list, Fred Jackson. And mm -hmm. you know, I think Fred is one of those that, and you know, some folks that uh, that we're friends with on social media, kind of he can be a hot button topic of, you know, did people hold him on too high of a pedestal or this or that, or think that he was better than he actually was. Fred Jackson, to me, just his story of how he got to the NFL, of being a division three player, bouncing around between different arena leagues, not even the arena league, right? Some sort of offshoots of, of what was considered the top arena football leagues out there. To, to then kind of work his way and catch the eye of Marv Levy and not just come to Buffalo and be, be good, but, you know, kind of be kind of focal point of the offense. And, and here's this player that, you know, you talk about sometimes, oh, gosh, you try to replace someone. You know, you bring in C.J. Spiller. You bring in Marshawn Lynch. Fred Jackson was, you know, had the longest career in Buffalo, certainly delivered – great with the fans. And, and I think I'm always a little bit of a sucker for an underdog story. I think you could, you know, you could make the Fred Jackson story into a movie and it's something I'm, I'm not saying it would be a Hollywood blockbuster, but it's something that, sure you know, you could put something around and, and, and there's a story to, to tell there and to see the success he had and how he embraced the community of Buffalo. I, I've always loved Fred Jackson. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. So um, next up on the list, I mean, Thurman Thomas, you know, Thurman was a guy and, uh, you know, I've always been a fan of the NFL draft. Remember watching this year, you know, here's this talented running back that quite honestly, I had never heard of before. I didn't really follow college football at the time, 
but your heart kind of goes out to him as you just see, you know, ESPN cutting to him. He's sitting on his couch. He's taking a nap. He's falling asleep. All of a sudden, it becomes this guy that you're rooting for, and then the Bills select him. So right from the jump, Thurman Thomas was someone that it was just like, oh, my gosh, like, yeah, here's this story. Now he becomes a part of the team that that I'm behind. And, I mean, Thurman meant so much to that Bills offense. You can talk about Jim Kelly in the passing game. This is the guy that made everything work. And I mm-hmm. realized running backs meant so much more in the NFL than, you know, than, than they do today, right, of, is talk about that investment and who players are. But for him to be able to, you know, kind of be that check down option for Jim Kelly uh, to just be able to kind of kick it into that second gear. Thurman Thomas was the most important player to the Bills offense, in my opinion, uh, and I just love him. And honestly, for for what he and his wife and his family still do in the Buffalo community, sure. how much that means to them, um, that is just great to see. I mean, you know, any player, you can retire and go anywhere else that you want to. Um Buffalo means a lot to to Thurman, and you know, and that kind of stands out to me. Agreed. Um, number three on the list, I mean, Bruce Smith. I mean, you can argue this is the greatest Buffalo Bill of all time, the greatest defensive end of all time. If you go back and look at his statistics at any point, I mean, you talk about domination, and it was domination during a period where it was not it wasn't a passing league. Right. So you're thinking, I mean, teams were, you know, oh, pound the rock, get it to your running backs, this and that. I mean, for Bruce Smith to just terrorize NFL quarterbacks the way that he did, um, an easy choice. And someone back then to just be able to look and say, as good as that defense was, it started with him. And Bruce Smith is uh, truly one of the, the greatest of all time. And I'll always kind of keep on that pedestal. You know, before, before you go on, I, I do want to say, because you bring up a good point about Bruce Smith. There were a handful of teams in the, around the league that would throw the football a lot, but probably half the league or more were very conservative running the football. That was just the way football was at that time. And you look at his stats and what he did with the Bills, you know, like literally one of the greatest sack artists in the history of football anyway. Just imagine if he played during a time where teams throw the football as much as they do now, as many teams, I should say. As good as his stats were then, they would, they would even be better had he played in an era like maybe 15, 20 years later. It's just incredible. Oh, absolutely. Um, Number two on my list, Josh Allen. Easy choice. And even though it's, you know, only been a handful of years when you think of this, it's, uh, he's the guy, right? And he's, and I say that like, he's our guy. You know, people can, well, there's Patrick Mahomes or there's Joe Burrow or what about Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts? This is the Buffalo Bills quarterback. And at least for where things sit now, I don't envision him ever taking a snap playing for another team in the NFL. And the way that he, you know, going back to what I said about Fred Jackson, being that underdog, I don't know any Bills fan that was like, oh, yeah, this is the guy that I want to be the quarterback of the Bills. When you think back to that draft and the guys that were in that class and everyone else being more accomplished, and him to come in and the fan base basically to be like, okay, you know, this is our guy now, right? Like this is our our quarterback. And even to that, you know, the game against the Vikings where he hurdles the linebacker and this and that, you you saw something there. I think it was that Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys where it was more than just a coming out of just like, hey, 
not only is this guy, you know, our quarterback, like he could be something special here. And uh, for what he does in the community with Oshai Children's Hospital and just kind of embracing this community, the fan base, everything it is. I love Josh Allen, man. My kids, my wife, they make fun of me, but uh, an easy choice on this list. Let me let me chime in with something about Josh Allen, too. You know, you'll talk about romanticizing a, a player, probably, and, and we're both, you know, we're middle-aged dudes, Anthony. We're not young. I mean, we're not old, old, but, you know, we've been watching football. We've been around for for a while. You know, we've seen a lot of bad Bills football, and I'm talking before the uh, the drought. We've seen some good Bills football, some Super Bowl Bills football. But when it comes to Josh Allen, two years ago, those back-to-back playoff games against New England and Kansas City is the best I've ever seen, for sure, a Buffalo Bill and maybe any NFL quarterback ever play. I mean, he was quite literally perfect against New England. And if you remember earlier in the season, New England came to Buffalo in horrible conditions, and they beat the Bills. But yeah. anyway, just Josh just absolutely dismantled New England. But even more impressive than that to me was that loss against Kansas City. I'm not going to sit here and run down the stats or, or, or any of that stuff. My, my point was this. I've never seen a guy who put a team on his back and wanted to, to win a football game more than Josh Allen did in the second half, specifically the fourth quarter of that Kansas City divisional playoff game. It was just unbelievable. He he was running for first downs on fourth down where it looked like he was going to get sacked, finding the open guy, do four touchdown passes to Gabe Davis. He could You couldn't ask for more from a guy from a competitive standpoint. You could just tell how crushed he was when they didn't win that football game. I just, if, if you were on the fence about Josh Allen as a football player or how you feel about him, his competitive desire or any of that stuff, if for whatever stupid reason you were on the fence before that game, that before those two playoff games, that left the building right there when you watched him play. It was just, uh, to this day, I, I still can't get over how good he was and, and how bad he wanted to win the game. And you could just see it in his eyes. So anyway, obviously, Josh is a great pick for you there, too. Now, he makes the Buffalo Bills relevant. He makes the team fun. Sure. Uh, sure. There's a little bit of a roller coaster sometimes with the way he plays. But good gosh, man, it is uh, it is fun to watch. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just uh, – yeah, he's that guy. So yes. I could go on about Josh Allen forever. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's get to number um, one on your list. Number one on my list, Kyle Williams. Um, and I will say, if Kyle Williams was a part of, you know, if he was in his prime with the Buffalo Bills right now, he would. we'd be talking about him as a future Hall of Famer. Um, unfortunately for him, and I think a lot of players in the NFL, right, it's just a matter of are you on the team during that that prime time right when that team is is great and Kyle Williams I feel like in so many ways from the year he was drafted right a fifth round draft pick John McCargo was taken in the first round and Kyle Williams is the one that has that that career but like as you say is is kind of an older guy right this is this is someone I can relate to and Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time coaching uh, a lot of times for what I do at work you you lead I, I read a lot of things on leadership and you know how it comes together and building teams. And gosh, you would hear those Kyle Williams post-game speeches, pre-game speeches, just the way he was seeing him as a father with his kids, how much it meant to him. That is probably right, the NFL player that I could relate to the most. And there's there's nothing that I have that I can relate to is, you know, uh 
being that type of an athlete. But as a person, Kyle Williams was someone that I always just resonated with with me in so many ways. And I just wish he was on these teams today, right? Because I think when you look at the success that this team is having and for what he meant to that defense, not just as a leader, but as a performer. I mean, Kyle Williams, it could be like, hey, we're going to play a 4-3. He would dominate. Oh, new coach comes in. We're switching to a 3-4. He would dominate. He's no one that you would ever pick out of a lineup and say, hey, this is going to be one of the best players on the field. And he always was. He and was. he just – he was the man. And when you think about it, uh, again, I'm 48 years old. It's It's weird gushing over a – 25 year old Josh Allen or whatever, whatever he is, I'm old enough to be his dad, but Kyle Williams, uh, you know, to a man, I guess you would say that is someone that you just felt like, man, that guy would have me running through a brick wall. What he meant to uh, a mediocre franchise to help them overachieve all those years. That's my number one choice. And, And he's my number one choice by a lot. I, you know, it's funny you you referred to John McCargo. That was back in a 2006 draft, and uh, the Bills traded up for John McCargo. By the way, <laughs> don't remind in, me in that. that in that first round. Look, this is this is obviously a great list. It would be really hard for either of us to screw it up. Um, you got a lot of errors represented here. You got you know the current error with Josh. You got the Super Bowl error with Thurman and Bruce, and then you got two of the greatest drought players, the drought era anyway, with Kyle Williams. And uh, Fred Jackson, you have one guy that I have. I'm going to get to mine in just a second. Want to preface by saying, you know, these are our lists. We get to make up our own rules. So before I turn over to mine, I do want to say that I could have easily put both Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs on my list. I decided that I need another year from them. I really don't need another year from them. But that's what I decided that I want another year from them. If we were to do these lists, Maybe a year from now, Josh Allen might be two or even one on my list. I mean, I absolutely love watching him play. And it's not even like he hasn't been there. I mean, he's going to go into his sixth year already. And Stefan's going into his fourth year with this team. So it's not like they just came around yesterday. But I just feel like for the moment at the time, I, uh, you know, I, I want another year or so. So I just wanted to say that. So when people are like, how do you not have Josh Allen on your list? I wanted to explain it beforehand that that's why. Let's see where they're at a year from now, and then maybe if we do this next year, they would definitely uh, be on my list. All right, so turning it over to mine. And again, if you're watching this on YouTube, which by the way, if you are, make sure you subscribe, hit that like button. Um, You can see the graphic. If you're listening on audio, which I know the majority of you are, um, I'll just explain this to you as we go along. And again, five favorite players, not necessarily the five best players that I think in the history of the franchise. I'm going to start at number five. Um, Joe Cribs, running back. I'll say this, you know, again, being our age right now, I kind of, I'm a running back guy. Like I love watching running backs run the football. It's probably one of my favorite things about football. It's kind of an art that we're getting more and more away from because teams are throwing the football more and more. But like in the eighties and in the nineties, running backs, you you mentioned this earlier, they played just such a, a bigger or more prominent role on their football teams. And Joe Cribs was an exciting running back, 1980. Um, he was a NFL Rookie of the Year, I believe. But anyway, that was coming up at a time where I was just starting to really get into football. I was getting old enough to start to follow football and know football a little bit and care. And Joe Cribs during that time was probably my favorite player 
on the Bills team at again during a time where I was just starting to really get into football and start to love the Buffalo Bills. He was he was exciting. He was here for five years. Did sit out an entire year. 1984, he set out an entire year over a contract dispute. Ralph Wilson did not want to pay him. Of course, if you're older and you know Ralph Wilson and his history with this franchise, that might not surprise you quite as much. But anyway, he ran over for over 1,000 yards a couple of times. He was a great player, and he was just a lot of fun to watch. And again, being a young, impressionable kid, um, he was my favorite player on those early 80s Buffalo Bills when I was just starting to become a fan. So I got him. At number five, number four, Jim Kelly. Now, I know, you know, this might be controversial to, to some extent, um, you know, for whatever reasons I really don't want to get into. But I'll say this. Jim Kelly represented the change of, of the franchise. Jim Kelly arrives in 1986. Well, first of all, Jim Kelly gets drafted in 1983, has no interest in being in Buffalo, doesn't want to play for the Bills, instantly is hated, you know, they want to be here. Too simple as that, man. He did not want to be here. He goes to the USFL for a couple of years. But when he get, was coming here in 1986, just the whole vibe changed. I still, to this day, can remember him getting off the football or getting off the plane and throwing a football. The second he got off the plane, it was just an exciting time. And it represented um, a shift from the Bills being a laughing stock around the league. 1984, 1985, back to back, two and 14 seasons. Ugh. Jim comes here. First year, I think they went maybe four and 12. I don't have stats in front of me, but uh, this is off the top of my head. I think they went four and 12 his first year, but you could just tell that things were starting to shift. You know what I mean? Jim was an exciting football player, a, a gunslinger. In today's NFL, you know, he'd be one of 20 quarterbacks who, who sling the football like he does. But back in those days, that keg on offense, it, it went because of Jim Kelly. So oh, it, it was electric. I mean, you, you think to it, it was hard for me not to have him on on my list, but I mean, he's, it's no surprise that he's, he's there with you. Right. I mean, it went from, as you said, being an also ran afterthought in the NFL to becoming one of the, you know, the top teams in all of football. Yeah, absolutely. And look, he was an arrogant prick and a dickhead uh, off the field. It's well known. Uh, again, not going to really dive into a lot of that stuff. He grew up and he matured a lot. He is, and you know, you talked about Thurman earlier, more on him in a second, but he's a guy who didn't just become a legend for the Buffalo Bills. He's a guy who settled into life in Western New York. Yeah. You want to talk about charities? He's done a hell of a lot for his, whether it's his charity, lots of other charities. He's lent his time, his voice, his efforts into a lot of things. Of course, overcoming cancer has endeared him and humanized him as well and endeared him to, to legions of fans all around the world, you know, but especially here in Western New York, him laying his roots down. He's just, he's become a, he grew up, you know what I mean? He was, he was a cocky, arrogant, which a lot of quarterbacks and great athletes just are when they're in their twenties and thirties, but beyond football, he really kind of blossomed and grew up. And like I said, he's really endeared himself to this community and on the field, he just represented the, the best era of you know, he was the quarterback during the best time ever to be a Buffalo Bills fan when you go to four straight Super Bowls. So I, I had to throw him there uh, on my list. Number, no, Like I said, I mean, just it's kind of a no-brainer. I almost feel guilty for leaving him off my list now. <laughs> but it's, it is what it is. Well, again, he's our personal favorites, not necessarily yeah. the best. Um, number three, Eric Moltz. 
My favorite receiver the Bills have ever had until possibly, and again, we'll see how Stefan does this year. I think as a player, my take has always been, I think Eric Moles was every bit as good as Andre Reid. You know, um, I think the numbers prove it. Maybe if, you know, Eric Moulds played with a, a better quarterback more consistently, his numbers would have even been better. But what I do remember most, Anthony, again, and we're going back, I remember it was like 2002, 2003, something like that. When, when Drew Bledsoe was here, the Bills underachieved. And I covered the Bills for a local rag paper. So I actually would be in the press box. This was well before the age of the internet and podcasting and all that stuff. If you worked for a local rag, you'd be able to get a credential and you'd be able to cover the Bills for the season. And I did in 2002. And I remember multiple occasions where the Bills would lose. And I mean, I was young and I really didn't know what the hell I was doing, to be quite honest with you. You know, in terms of covering players and speaking to players, I would just kind of be along for the scrum, you know, sticking my recorder or whoever the star player is and whatever, seeing what they say. But my point was this. I remember... So many of these guys, these leaders, these captains would be nowhere to be found in the locker room after a tough loss. And Eric Moles would be the one guy who would always be sitting there holding court and all the reporters would be flocking to him because he would say what was out of his mind and he would be one of the few players on this team during that time that would always be accountable. And I, I remember that as a, as a reporter at that time. And, you know, I, he got a lot of my respect. And again, on the field, Eric Moles was lethal, man. He was funny, big dude fast, good hands, good route runner. It's a shame that he didn't have more team success during that time because he's the type of player that's a, a Super Bowl caliber player. So I don't know how you feel about Eric, but man, I was a big, big, big fan of his. Well, it's one, it's, it's interesting to hear you share that experience. One, I didn't know that you did that during that season. So that's, that's a whole other piece, but right. It gives you that it's not just who he was as a player and how he performed on the field, that little extra that talks about his character. And I know sometimes, you know, someone might be rolling their eyes, as you say, like talking about character with a player, but like that goes a long way. And that stood out. I mean, molds has always been one of those. You can say, well, what if Eric molds got taken by the Colts and Marvin Harrison got taken by the bills, right? Sure. I mean, Harrison, you know, teams up with Peyton Manning has, multiple Pro Bowls, all pros, goes to the Hall of Fame, all this type of stuff. You can argue which one is a more talented receiver, but one was playing with, you know, kind of a mishmash of quarterbacks, and the other one was playing with one of the greatest of all time. Molds in the playoffs against the Dolphins, and again, I don't know the stats off the top of my head. I mean, right, didn't he have one of those games where he went for like 254 yards? I mean, you talk about a yeah. dominant type of performance. He was one of those guys and it just uh you know you start to see his name pop up and be much more revered amongst bills fans these days doing some work with some of the younger wide receivers giving them some advice um you know you talk about having guys and their legacy being part of the organization seeing eric mold still affiliated with the bills that makes me happy because uh so underrated for the player that he was and kind of the recognition that he deserved. Yeah, he's the only player in team history other than Stefan Diggs the last three years to have 100 catches. He did that in 2002. And furthermore, another thing that I like and respect about him was he be, he was a free agent. And I remember this. He got offered more money by the Minnesota Vikings and he could have signed in Minnesota, but he elected to stay in Buffalo and re-sign with them. So yeah, man, I got bad love for, for Eric Moltz. And by the way, I still talk to him occasionally 
from time to time as well. He's uh, he's doing really good. And by the way, he looks like he could still play in the NFL right now. Absolutely. He's got to be in his fifties. He's in his fifties, man. He, he looks ridiculously good and in shape. So anyway, I got Eric at three. Number two, this is a guy that you had on your list. I really don't have a lot to add to it. You, I think you said it very well. I got Thurman Thomas at number two. Again, I've always been a running back guy. Love watching the running backs. And you want to talk about an amazing era of NFL football for running backs when you had Thurman and Barry Sanders. By the way, Oklahoma State, you said you didn't watch them, you know, college football. You didn't follow them much at that time. Dude, can you imagine a college football team that had a backfield of Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders. Are you freaking kidding me? Crazy. Unbelievable. But anyway, yes, Thurman, Emmett Smith, it was just such a great era of uh, for running backs. And as good as Jim Kelly was, as good as Andre was, and they were James Lofton and throwing the football around, man, watching Thurman play on this offense was just unbelievable. 1991 NFL uh I think he was co-MVP. I know he's Offensive Player of the Year or something like that. He was far and away the best player on the field in the Super Bowl, the first one when they lost to the Giants. I mean, you get him the ball five, seven more times and the Bills win that football game. Simple as that. It still makes me really sad. But he was just, an, again, beyond stats and talking about how great he was, he was just an exciting player. I loved watching Thurman Thomas play. It was really sad to see him have to go to Miami for his last year when the Bills didn't want him anymore to finish his career. Um, I always kept up with him following his career. He was, he didn't always, he wasn't going to live in Buffalo, but he went, I think he went down to Florida and, uh, he, long story short, he ended up back up in Buffalo and he's been there ever since. And you said it perfect, man, him and his wife, Patty have just been amazing to this community and as said, he's done so much and a lot, he does a lot of stuff that doesn't get publicized as well too, Anthony. I'm telling you right now, man, he just. He's a great asset to the Western New York community. He was a great football player, and he was fun to watch. So for that reason, he's number two on my list. I, I think he said uh, everything else that needs to be said about him. Number one, my guy, Daryl Talley. I, this was not easy. Again, and I'm sure you, when you looked at your list, you said it. It was hard. You probably have a good half dozen to a dozen players you could have easily put in your top five. I feel the same way. So I, I just want to say that. but. There's not a Buffalo Bill that's played in, you know, was put on a Bills uniform that I like more than Daryl Talley. Not just because of the stats. Oh, he was really underrated. I mean, he didn't get around the, he got love in Buffalo, but around the league, Daryl Talley never got the love that he deserved, you know, and on a defense, you know, Bruce Smith is a different story. He's one of the greatest football players of all time, but so many stars on the Bills defense during that time with Cornelius Bennett. And, uh, you know, Shane Collin and Odoms. And, you know, you just keep going on and on with the defense, all these big name players. But, man, Daryl Talley was consistent. Daryl Talley was a warrior. Daryl Talley was a leader. Daryl Talley was that guy who would get in your face. I don't think there was anyone in that stadium every Sunday who wanted to win a football game more than Daryl Talley. I just loved watching him play. Spider-Man, you know, I love I love the Spider-Man um shit he had under his uniform. That stuff was great. He was uh again, he was a true leader. You know, you kind of talk about Kyle Williams or in that era and that team being a leader, and you speak of leadership. I don't think there's ever been a better leader on this team than Daryl Talley. He wasn't even a first round pick, he was a second round draft pick. And he just he's a guy who really changed the culture, I think, of the Buffalo Bills. 
And, you know, just like we, we talked about with Thurman and, and Jim Kelly as well. He's a guy, he doesn't live in Buffalo. He lives in Florida, but he's still a fabric of Western New York. You know, he, he him and his wife, Janine, they just, they, they do so much. Um, even I, I, I don't, God, I hate bringing this up because we talked about a little bit yesterday with, with Joe Yernan and I just don't want to cast a shadow on the show, but that poor eight year old kid who passed away, um, Eddie, um, last week so sad but anyway they were putting stuff together literally as this happened last week and daryl and, and janine they were doing a raffle they didn't do it but bill's mafia babes were putting together a raffle where somebody would have an opportunity to to have a facetime conversation with daryl and janine just my point being is that they still give back they still do everything that they possibly can to help this community at all times again just a, a leader a great dude, a real dude, uh, a guy who wasn't going to bullshit you. He would give you honest answers all the time. I interviewed him before I even had this podcast. I was writing for a blog at the time, and he talked about how much he hated. When, the, the last year after he left Buffalo, I think it was maybe Atlanta he went to, he just he hated, he hated life. He didn't want to play football anymore once he wasn't in Buffalo, Bill. But I don't know. For me, bro, that's my number one guy. Well, and Daryl Talley is an easy one to include. He was beloved as a player, right? And as you said, mm -hmm. sometimes even someone that was underrated. But to your point, the the work that he has done, his wife Janine, just them being, I'll say, present with Bills fans, right? Even if they don't live in the community, um, they're easy to embrace and they embrace yeah. Bills Mafia. And that goes a long way, right? And I think sometimes when you put that list together, I don't know, maybe if you put it together six, seven years ago, would he have still been number one on your list? I don't know. But that adds to someone making that list and being one of your favorites. And uh, it's good to see him because, man, those Spider-Man sleeves, that was iconic. Like the league won't let you do that stuff anymore. But you always knew where Daryl Talley was on the field just by that that look. And that was something pretty special. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
All right, I'm back with Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. We just counted down our five favorite Buffalo Bills of all time. By the way, Thursday night at Imperial Pizza, if you happen to be in South Buffalo, stop up. I'm going to be there live with Brian Duff. Of course, Brian Duff, the Buffalo Sabres uh, TV announcer, post-game, pre-game, and of course, in between periods alongside Marty Baron. So he's going to be joining me live at Imperial on Thursday night. Let's spend a couple of minutes here talking about actual Buffalo Bills, current Buffalo Bills football. Again, training camp comes in a few weeks. We'll have plenty to talk about once that begins. But two specific, um, I guess we could call them positional battles, depth chart battles. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on here before we finish with our uh, finish the sentence segment. Uh, one of them's cornerback two. Um, you got Kyrie Elam. You got Dane Jackson. I think a lot of people forget about Dane Jackson. I mean, he did start. He started the season last year. Um, he started a lot of games, and the Bills did re-sign him, or they they tendered him. He was a restricted free agent, and the Bills tendered him. Some people might think that was a surprise, considering they had Kyrie Elam, and also the other guy that I'm going to mention here, Christian Benford, a six-round pick a year ago, who actually beat Elam out of training camp for a starting job. What are your thoughts when it comes to Trey White looks healthy? All indications are that he's back to 100%. He played last year. He returned, but he wasn't quite the Trey White that we had seen pre-ACL injury. But now it appears that he's going to be healthy. He's your CB1, all right? So that, let's end that discussion right here. But what are your thoughts going into camp right now? Uh, potentially one of the better battles of camp between Jackson, between Elam, and between Benford, because there's a lot of people who are saying, well, Elam was a first-round pick a year ago. He needs to start but I do not think that that's going to be the approach. He's not going to be handed anything going into camp. What are your thoughts right now? Yeah, it is so – I'm baffled by this one, to be quite honest, Pat, because even when you go back to last season, it's like, okay, I could understand Dane Jackson being the starter in place of Tredavious White, being being the, the veteran at the time. But then opposite of that, right, week one, I still remember standing in the family room, looking at the TV, Bills, Rams, and they announced – Christian Benford is a starter right? over Kyrie Elam. And even the fact then that they had the rotation going between the two, right? Roughly oh, 45, 55% of the snaps back and forth with each other, that's fine. But Sean McDermott obviously made the point that Benford was the starter yeah. and Elam was coming off the bench. And as you see all this stuff and you hear Brandon Bean talk or Sean McDermott, like, they speak highly of Elam. Like, what did Brandon Bean say? Like, I wish I could tell you he wasn't doing everything we asked him to do in practice, or I'm paraphrasing and I'm kind of messing that up. But it's so it's either is just is Christian Benford that good that it's like, hey, this is somebody that might be better than the guy that we took in the first round that just is showing better in practice. And here's a diamond in the rough that we had. I struggle with this one. And you mentioned Dane Jackson too. And it I'll say this. Sal Capacci always brings up Dane Jackson. And whenever these things take place, right, there's a few guys that you're always just like, okay, when Sal says something, when Joe Biscaglia says something, and when Matt Perino says something, there's always a little bit of just like, they're not just going with their gut. They must have seen something sure. that gets them to, to say this. And there's a lot of great beat reporters out there, but those are the three that it's always – I take with a little extra something. And Sal mm -hmm. consistently brings up Dane Jackson every opportunity he has. So, hey, to have a three-man competition, that kind of talent, it's great. 
But I will say this, it's like three is too many. If one of them is that good, then trade somebody. If they are that yeah. good that you can say all three of these guys are of a starting caliber, well, then you're in essence wasting that, that talent. So I am, I am baffled by it, though. If Kyer Elam does not come out of training camp as the starter, to, to me, that's a little bit of a what the hell is going on here. There's a good chance. Let's just say all three of these guys stay healthy. Whoever is the third who finishes third, if there's a competition, whoever finishes third might not even dress on Sundays. Right. You no, know? there's a good chance that they don't even dress because now you're talking they'd be the fourth outside corner, not even just corner. You know, you got your backup slot corner um, to Teron Johnson. I will say this. I'm not a hand the job to a, to a guy who hasn't proven enough yet type of person, generally speaking. But with Kyrie Elam, I, I kind of wonder a little bit. Your first round pick, you started slow. You got beat out by a six rounder. I thought as the season got, as the season went on later, I thought Elam played better. And I remember specifically, I haven't watched the playoff game. I can't bring myself to watch that Bengals game right now. Sure, at some point I will again. But one thing I do remember is talking, whether it was with Aaron, whether it was with Joe Yerden, whoever the guests were that I've had on over the months since that Cincinnati game. I remember saying nobody showed up on defense. Like I would start out talking about Ed Oliver and that he did nothing. And then I'd be like, well, nobody showed up. Or I'd say the same thing about Ed Oliver. No one really showed up on defense except two people. Matt Milano, who I thought played great against the Bengals. And I thought Kyler Elam played really good against yeah. the Bengals too. So I, I thought he finished the season strong. So I was really surprised to learn that he's not locked in as the starter right now. And I wonder maybe worry a little bit the the mindset of a guy or you know the first round pick he gets on the field he does play well at the end of the year and he's got a fight to you know tooth and nail to to be a starter going in the year two it feels it feels like he should be locked in you know what i'm saying i'm he's not and i don't think there i don't think by any means mcdermott's just gonna hand him the job it feels, don't, don't it feel like he should be locked in oh it definitely feels like he should be locked in and part of that is with his play last season. And I realized Christian Benford went through some injuries, right? So there was that part that he was out for mm -hmm. uh, down the stretch. Uh, and also, no one should just be handed the job. I get that part too. But when you talk about a first-round draft pick and you talk about a platoon type of situation, I go back to it. What the hell took place that you said, yeah, you two are going to platoon, but we are going to start Christian Benford yeah. over Kair Elam? And I am... And trust me, I'm not one that's often critical of, of Sean McDermott, and that's not I, – I don't know enough that I should be critical of him. But, you know, to this point, sometimes a young player has to learn on the job. Mm -hmm. And in this type of a scenario, I would just like – you know, you might say, hey, we're going to – you're going to take some lumps, right? Like, hey, you might get burned on something. That's going to happen. You've shown the ability. We drafted you for a reason. Let's see what you can do. Play through some of these these pieces, um, and I would like to I would like to see that this year. Do you worry that if Kyrie Elam doesn't win the starting job coming out of camp, and we're playing the Jets Week One, and whether it's Dane Jackson, whether it's Benford, I I, I kind of feel like it would be Dane Jackson. By the way, it's just my gut feeling. If it wasn't Elam, I think it will be Elam. But anyway, if Elam's not the starter. You start to worry about being a first-round pick. I hate using the word, especially just in his second year, but if you can't beat out these guys, 
th- that bus label is going to creep up on him quicker than he wants. You know what yeah, I'm saying? And, and I, and again, from the way he's played, I can't call him a bust. If he was out on the field last season and looked completely lost, then you could say, man, there is a problem here. But we saw him play good football with the exception. And I talked about it on my show during the week, um, the Pittsburgh game, right? And that, and the Bills, right? What they win, 35 to three. So, I mean, you're really talking some softer zone coverage. Kenny Pickett was just going to George Pickens for like all this underneath stuff. And yes, Elam was on him where you could say, oh man, look at the stat line for George Pickens. Well, that's fine in a 35 to three blowout or whatever the final score score was. He, he played well for a rookie last season. So it kind of goes to that point. Like if you're going to do this and Joe Biscaglia had mentioned this and people got over him a little bit because he was talking about potential trade targets for the bills, right? Guys that yeah. they might look to trade away. And he had Elam on the list and I agree like, wait, what, what is taking place? But if you're not going to start him, if you feel that Dane Jackson is good enough as a first round draft pick or that Christian Benford is, and Hey, if you can get a, second round pick for for Kyer Elam. It sounds crazy. It sounds preposterous, but like to have one of those guys potentially be inactive on game day or to just like play special teams, what are you doing? It's one thing to have depth, but if you can get an asset, make the move, I guess. I, I feel confused in a way because I feel like he played well enough at the end of the year that I feel like he absolutely should be a starter. But if he's not, look, <laughs> He's just going in the year two and he's a first round pick. But yeah, if you can't beat out Dane Jackson or and Christian Benford and you might have some trade value, like Joe Biscalia said, maybe, you know, you get a mid round pick or something, you cut your losses. Because again, I'm starting to worry if you can't beat Benford or Dane Jackson, a sixth or seventh round pick, when I thought that you looked pretty good last year at the end anyway, then, then maybe there's something more to it. Maybe there's something wrong with the player that we just don't see. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. And that is the piece in training camp that I'm going to be most intrigued sure. about. And it's kind of hard to tell, right? Of like, hey, guys will be taking reps. What is what does that even mean? Or what is it what does it look like? But it's um yeah, that one is just really interesting. Because the other layer to it as well, I mean, Tredavious White, you know, coming off the injury got better as his time went down the stretch last season. There's talking about a kind of a a new energy that he has coming into this season where he can bounce back. That's great. He's not going to be here forever in Buffalo. So you need that other cornerback one to start to, to emerge. And you want that guy to be Kyrie Elam. And if not, it's a big miss. I agree. I tend to think that Elam's going to step up and I think maybe they're just really pushing him and testing him and uh, seeing how he handles competition again I, I do think he he should emerge i feel like he's going to hopefully i hope he does again yeah by far your biggest investment of the three is yeah. in elam so you know I, I hope that uh it works out for him the other position as well that i think we'll be keeping an eye on a lot during training camp going into uh the start of the season is look gabe davis stefan diggs they remain healthy. That's obvious right there. There's your two outside receivers, your two perimeter receivers. I think the Bills are going to play a decent amount of uh, 11 personnel where they have two tight ends. So I think you're going to see Kincaid on the field a lot, whether he's lined up in line or whether he's playing that big slot, which we heard a lot about during the draft right after the Bills 
drafted him. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how things play out competition for whether it's the fourth receiver, if you want to call it a four receiver set, who's going to be that fourth receiver or that slot third receiver when they don't use two tight ends out there. You got, um, you got Khalil Shakir. My mind went play for a half a second there. Khalil Shakir, you got, he's the incumbent. He's the one, you know, he's a rookie last year. He's going in the year two. And then they, uh, they signed Trent Shurfield from Miami. They signed Deontay Hardy, who was their first free agent signing from the New Orleans Saints. Gave him a nice little buck as well, too. So it's not like he's here on one of these little one-year prove-it deals like somebody like Trent Shurfield is. But how do you see things playing out when it comes to that? I think that's going to be an interesting uh, – it's definitely going to be an interesting position to monitor through camp, like what the depth chart and, and the snap count is looking like. Yeah, I think Deontay Hardy is going to be the guy. And two components to it. One, follow the money, right? You look at his sure. contract somewhere in the neighborhood with incentives of like two years up to $13.5 million. Clearly the biggest investment that the team has made. You don't sign someone to that type of contract if you don't look at it and say, listen, there is a role that this player can, can fill for the yeah. Bills. You hear great things about Trent Shurfield. The, the fan base loves Khalil Shakir. Uh, as a fifth round draft pick, again, kind of what he can bring and you see flashes. But I do think Deontay Hardy is almost like that more established version of what you wanted Isaiah McKenzie to be. Sure. Um, and I always loved Isaiah McKenzie as a personality when he would, you know, show those flashes. But apparently just the consistency was not there for what he could be. Now with Deontay Hardy, again, you can just look at highlights and say, hey, here's a guy can catch the ball sort of at the line of scrimmage, make something happen once he gets the ball in his hands. Some of those jet sweeps that you'd see McKenzie on can, can be a punt returner, a kick returner, can do those things. Uh, I think average somewhere in the neighborhood of like almost 16 yards per reception. So he, he gives you that speed element. And sometimes when I look at the pieces, and again, I'm talking highlight clips. So it's, you know, I'm not one of these guys that's breaking down the film. Reminds me a little bit of John Brown right? Like Smoke Brown kind of having a little bit diminutive as far as his size goes, but having that speed can catch a ball, you know, in a contested situation can make something happen. That is a guy that brings something different than what you have. Trent Sherfield might be a, you know, a lesser version of a, a Gabriel Davis can still do some good things. Khalil Shakir, maybe a lesser version of what you're looking for in the slot. Hardy gives you that, that element, that speed element that you do not have with Davis and Diggs and those other two guys, he will be that uh, a bit of a difference maker, I guess. I, I agree fully. I think Sherfield is going to be a guy who backs up Davis and Diggs on the outside. He's a really good blocker. I think he'll get some snaps because I think, again, yeah. he's a really good blocker. He's a core special teams player as well. I think it comes down more to Hardy versus Shakir as well. Um, follow the money. You, you said it perfect. I don't think they paid him to to – he he. They hope he's going to be what they wanted Isaiah McKenzie to be. So I really don't got much more to add to that. I agree with everything you said. It's going to be fun, though. Those are, to me, are two of the, the more interesting things to follow as training camp gets going here in just a couple weeks. CB2, how that plays out, and how the depth chart for the wide receiving position um, plays out as well. Dalton Kincaid, obviously, is going to have a lot to say. If he looks really good, they're, just, they're going to get him on the field a lot more. Big slot two tight ends, however you want to look at it. But I think Hardy's going to get a lot of run um, as well. All right, let's finish up with our finish the sentence segment. Four questions, random, 
pop culture, not really sports stuff. We do this every week. I do it there. Now I'm doing with Anthony as well. Um, I'm just going to reset. This is off to you again. You'll see them if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, I'll read them off. And then I'll give what Anthony's uh, take is going to be on that. Let's get going. First one here. A song that's probably playing on constant loop in hell is blank. Stitches by Sean Mendez. <laughs> I say that and it's a kind of a running joke that I always had with my kids when it would come on in the radio, anything by Sean Mendez. I'm like, I'm changing the station. You know, they were young at the time. They're like, what are you like? This guy's like 16 years old. He's talking about heartbreak and all these deep relationships. I'm like, this guy knows nothing. So it kind of became this running joke of like, anytime Sean Mendez came on, I had to change the station. So, uh, you know, for me, that's that's probably the that was the first one that came to mind. I never knew that I hated Sean Mendez's stitches until you just said that about 10 <laughs> seconds ago. Hate that song as well. Um, I hate picture by Kid Rock and Cheryl Rowe. I, I or Cheryl Crow. I know that's a lot of people like that song, might piss some people off. Can't stand that song. I hate everything about it. So to just picture that on loop day and night would would literally would be <laughs> hell for me so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that one let me pull up the next one here gun to my head and i have to sing a song word for word with no mistakes i'm picking and by the way you can't say tequila i know a lot of people would say that you know the one song when it's just the only word lyrics in the whole song is tequila you can't you gotta actually pick a song gun to your head gotta pick one word for word mama said knock you out by L O cool j really that's not an easy one yeah, it's, well, let's put it this way. When you've listened to it like 20,000 times, probably like <laughs> I have in my life, that's that's one that uh, that that works for me. So that is uh, that is my definitive answer. All right, you, that was that was definitely uh, definitive. I would go with Careless Whisper by Wham or George Michael, which, by the way, that time this week, next week, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking about it. There's a brand new documentary on Netflix covering Wham. And it was actually really good. Again, I don't have time to get into it today. But anyway, that song, Careless Whisper, I've heard that a billion times. My son, who does not like a lot of 80s music, he even loves that song. So I would I would confidently pick that song that I wouldn't screw up. Although I'd be nervous because if you make a mistake, you're going to get shot in the head. So, <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, I got two more here. A specific thing I got in trouble for back when I was in school was blank. In high school. I did Super Bowl squares and, you know, just kind of went around. I think I charged like $5 a square mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously didn't say anything to my parents that I was doing this. Well, then the Super Bowl takes place and like phones ringing off the hook. People are excited, you know, to have won their money, whatever. And my parents were livid. Like, you can't be doing that type of stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like they could be seen as gambling. You could get in trouble. All this. I like, my parents were were hot, and I didn't like, get in trouble trouble at at school, but I got in trouble with my parents, and I always remember that one. So it was just like, you know, that that was that that's my one. You were hustling squares in high school. That's really impressive, man. Um, mine is not only something I got in trouble for, also probably one of the dumbest things I've ever done. I played football. Shout out Lafayette High School, by the way. Senior year, so every Friday before a game, we would have a pep you know, a pep rally, a pep assembly and Friday morning, get ourselves fired up, get the student body fired up for us to go out and get our ass kicked the next day. But anyway, um, we used to 
walk around the block from Lafayette High School on the west side, and we used to drink drink a couple beers. Like there was a couple degenerates who weren't on the football team who would uh you know just sneak beers in from the fridge or whatever, and we would walk around the block for school, and we probably we'd have a beer or two, that, you know, before you go into school for the day, which is really stupid. But anyway, that's what we did, and I got caught. We got caught. It was the final football game senior year. My senior year, Grover Cleveland was our rival. That was like the big West Side rivalry. Walked around school, around the block, drinking beer, got caught. And you know why I got caught? Me specifically, because football players wore their football jerseys to school on Fridays. And I had my number, number three, senior year. And somebody called the school and said football player number three was drinking. So I got caught. Didn't get to go to the pep rally, like had to go to detention room during the pep assembly. And even worse, the next day, the last game, didn't play a snap. Benched the whole game. Now I wasn't no fan, you know, great player anyway, but I was a starter. I played a lot, played plenty. Yeah. Didn't see the field. Didn't play a snap. My my final game, high school, my final football game ever, because I didn't play college football, obviously, but got caught drinking outside of school before pep rally. <laughs> got kicked out of that and did not get to play a snap because I got caught drinking a beer. Oh my God. That that's all. That one's like heartbreaking, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of just stupid. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. All right. Last one here. When Harry met Sally and we're talking about today, uh, which is July 12th. When Harry met Sally was released on this date in 1989, a favorite romantic movie of mine is blank. And I don't know if you're going to count either of these as a romantic movie. And it's like, so I had two. Uh, one is Jerry Maguire and the other is Hitch. Okay. I, so, well, I know. I mean, one is kind of like a rom-com. The other, you know, you'd probably be like, Anthony, you know, you're only picking that. It's more of a sports movie. But I think when you think to what Jerry Maguire was, obviously like a, you know, call it a romantic dramedy, right? But whatever it may be, or dramatic movie. Um, those were the two that came to mind for me. Yeah, I look, dude, does it get more romantic than Tom Cruise being in the living room at the end of that movie? Man, come on, that, that's a great pick. Um, I'm going with Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Now there's a million rom-coms that I could pick, but I, I love that one, man. Peter Falls, you know, he's with Sarah. Sarah cheats on him and goes to Hawaii and he falls for... Uh, then he, what's I'm looking at the cast right now. Rachel Jansen, that was a character anyway. But anyway, Sarah Marshall's down there. It's just, it, it's the combination of funny and, and really cute. And then you get that happy ending that you want in a romantic movie um, at the end. Anyway, and it was important, by the way, the wording. I just want to put that out there. I didn't say the most romantic movie. I said yeah, a yeah. favorite. So we could have multiple favorites. That's one of my favorites. Uh, anyway, forgetting Sarah Marshall. So. <laughs> Have you watched Jason Siegel in the show Shrinking on Apple TV? No, I didn't even know that. I've never heard of this show. What is it? Is it, is L- it a listen, so, so it's by um, it's by Bill Lawrence, who did Scrubs, Cougar Town. Oh, really? Ed Lasso. Um, eight episodes. Um, you know, if you're you, you talk about forgetting Sarah Marshall, but it's it's him. It's Harrison Ford. I will not share anything more other than it is. Um, you will absolutely love it. All right. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. All right, guys, it's going to do it for today. Make sure you follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony Marino. Check out Buffalo Rumley's guy, including your own show, a great roster. Um, I got to start getting a couple of your people on this show too. But now that the season's 
going to get going. I have Joe Miller on from time to time with Jay Spence, Sarah, Jerry, all, lot, lots of really cool people on uh, the Buffalo Rumblings podcast and Vidcast Network. I got to put that out there, Vidcast as well. Thanks, buddy. This was fun. We'll be back with a new episode next week too, man. Sounds good. All right, guys. I will be back again. Brian Duff, live from Imperial tomorrow night. Talk to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.